Welcome to the week in IndyCar and the Marshall Pruitt podcast and our guest episode. And who do we have? Who, who, who? It's Mr. Two-Time NTT IndyCar Series champion, Joseph Newgarden. Joseph, I realized it's been a little while since I've had you on the show. Something like August of 2019. So I must have done something wrong or I don't remember what it is, but it's been way too long since I've had you on the show Appearance number six, which is a good number, but uh, it's been a while. I think I think the world ending um, might have added to that that gap because the world was normal the last time we talked. So, um, yeah, it's good to be back. Good to chat with you. Oh, and we've got questions. Oh, we've got questions. Some you've answered on previous appearances, but you know. We have new listeners every week, so hopefully they'll enjoy wandering down some funny, funny little areas. I want to say thank you, as always, to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com. So before we launch into our listener questions, Joseph, you are sitting in Indianapolis right now, getting ready for two days, potentially, of open testing at IMS. Weather still a little bit of a question Tell us about the feels right now. It feels to me like the season's just about here because we're doing adult-type things like open test at IMS. What's going through you right now? Oh, yeah, we're here. We're, de- we're definitely about to kick off. Um, I feel like you know I'm, I'm shifting my mindset back to where it needs to be for a, a championship run. Um you kind of you kind of get away from. I know I've gotten away from that in the off season. You kind of I've been diverted to other other tasks or items, and then you got to refocus yourself for the year again. Make sure you're in the right headspace. Make sure you're you're as prepped as you possibly can be. It's it's harder nowadays too. Um, certainly the last year, trying to stay connected with everybody, such as you know the engineers and the mechanics, and you know what crew's going to be on your car and just trying to get the energy levels right with everybody is it's, it's harder to do during this pandemic. Um, you just can't replace that in-person time. And, and even the in-person time is, you know, not as fulfilling as it once was. So um, trying to make sure that's all right, but yeah, we're here, we're ready to go. Can't wait. I think I, I've got it. I'm very encouraged. You know, we, we almost always say we feel positive about what we're about to do for the year. I feel like we're going to have fast cars, but I, I really do feel like we've got, We've got some improvements coming for, for 2021. There's been a tremendous amount of work that's been put in, and I, I'm very encouraged about what we're going to have for a lot of tracks. I want to follow up on that note, but before I do, I want to ask, it's pretty common for the drivers to get together and chat, if not every single driver in a group, whether it's drivers meeting or pit lane catching up, wherever it might be, it's pretty common for you and the rest of the IndyCar drivers to you know, catch up a little bit before the season starts, wherever you might see one another. You just mentioned positive feeling. You ever had a driver tell you preseason, oh, we're screwed. Oh, we're going nowhere. This year's going to be terrible. <laughs> no, you, you know, that's true. We've never, we've never done that. I feel like it's a cliche thing to say, you know, that's like, hey, yeah, everything's positive. I mean, what are you going to say? You know, even if it's not good, you gotta, you got to say, yeah, it's just going to be a horrible year. We've done nothing good this offseason. I'm not looking forward to it. We're two weeks out. Um, buckle up. It's going to be horrible. I, Mind I games. That, see, this is a new area for you as you evolve as a champion. Mind games. you got to set the bar low. 
really, really mess with your rivals' heads. It's going to be terrible, guys. Just, you know, keep me in your prayers. That's all I, I ask. They do that. They're definitely doing that in Formula One, right? Like, you look at Mercedes, and they're putting the pressure on Red Bull. Like, oh, you know, they have a good car. Mercedes, we have a terrible car. I, I think they do that a lot over there. You know, you don't really get that as much on the IndyCar side. I'm thinking of quitting, said Newgarden. Uh, you know, just these kinds of things. See how people react. Might might play to your favor, might not. You mentioned a lot of really good work and high expectations on your end. Last year wasn't everything that you wanted, but boy, you specifically rallied incredibly hard. Didn't get the championship, but I know I'm one of many who said, boy, if there was one more race on the calendar, I wonder uh, what Joseph might have been able to do. Has there been any changes within your entry coming into this year, personnel-wise, strategy-wise, any structural changes that we should know about, or is it the same group just really working even harder, if that's even possible? Nothing major. Uh, you know, there are some, I think there's still some some moving around. I don't, I don't think we have a completely set group yet, but, I, the, you know, the original cast of characters, you're going to see say that a lot of the, see a lot of the same going into 21, like you saw in 2020. Um, certainly had, you know, a lot of the pieces in place, I think, to get the job done most weekends. Uh, you know, I don't think we need to change much process wise. So I, I don't foresee any of that. Um, the big change for us is we've got, you know, obviously, uh, we've got another, um, gunslinger in the group with <laughs> Scott McLaughlin, uh, which is great. So I think that's more fa- firepower for us and, you know, adding like Jonathan Duguid um, and a couple other engineers, we've definitely picked up some resources from the sports car side. So as a team, we're definitely bolstered more than we were, but I think, you know, us specifically on the two car, we're. We're pretty similar, some small changes, but pretty similar to last year. All McLaughlin wants to do when he's on the show is talk about Bed Bath & Beyond. Is he like that, you know, behind the scenes? If you guys are driving somewhere for something, is he like just checking his phone to see where the closest one is? I mean, tell us about this. And is that him right now digging you, asking if, if you want to go to Bed Bath & Beyond? Let me let me tell you something about Scott. Okay, I didn't. I I have never experienced this in my career yet to to truly. And here's the thing: Scott's not really a rookie per se in racing terms. He's a super accomplished, one of the best race car drivers in the world type guy. But he is a true rookie when it comes to IndyCar racing. And I I have just never seen that. I've never seen a rookie come in and see the enthusiasm and exuberance for any little thing that happens i mean the guy loves (laughs) i mean silly stuff like i think we were at texas last week and um we just had a little run together at the end and you know i passed him on the outside going to turn one and he came up to me and he was like man that was incredible like that was so that was good right like we had a great battle there and it was for me it was like become a much more normal thing to to just have a you know a little five lap run together and you know have a pass to turn one just him and me and but for Scott it was like you know it's this whole new thing he's never done it anything that's new like that um, is like the greatest thing ever and and I just I love it because it really brings back the perspective that you know it's so cool what we get to do it's not that you lose the appreciation for it but you definitely lose the perspective of the you know how awesome what we do you know every day and just how special it is so it's really fun seeing that through scott pretty much every day that we hang out he is a happy little puppy with a little wagon tail the whole time so that's uh that's pretty darn cool 
We've got a couple questions here. We've already gotten into a little bit. Mark Leonard's curious about what's been your focus on improvements this season. Daniel Ingleton uh, asking similar and Jordan Darwin as well, but focused on the 500. Uh, Jordan mentioning that you were the best Chevy finisher last year. Uh, what do you think it's going to take going into May to feel like you were uh, in a fight for the win? Man, I'll tell you, the boy, you got a lot of folks reaching out to you this morning. Your uh, your phone is buzzing away. Uh, you were the least happy, highest finisher at an Indy 500 I can remember in a little while, Joseph. Uh, can you share any insights on general approach, general anything, to making sure that this year you're maybe getting closer to that favorite liquid beverage of yours? <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, the the old milk. I love that. You know me. A lot of evidence out there. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, we needed to be better all around last year at the at the five hundred. Um, there's there's no hiding that. I think as a team, and you know, certainly as a, as an entire group with everyone that we work with, we just needed to perform stronger. So we, I think, first off, tried to address you know where our deficiencies were. You know why we struggled on qualifying day. Um, and you know, where, where we were weak in, in the race and, and where we were weak in all parts of it. And especially, especially at the end and, and, you know, all you can do is try and identify those areas and strengthen them. And, and that's what we've done. You know, everyone's put in a lot of work, like I said, I mean, we do every year, but we, you know, we really doubled down on the 500 to make sure we, we understood what was missing. And we've tried to identify, you know, areas that are going to make us better. We got to qualify up higher. We got to have more speed out of the cars naturally, you know, just inherent speed. Um, and I think, you know, if we have that, then, then we can execute. I felt like we executed really well last year. We, we were in a position. I tell people this just because to me, it shows that we executed well. We, we, we left the last pit stop. We came in with Takuma Sato for the final pit stop and passed him into turn three out of the pits uh, for the final sin of the race. He, of course, passed me back on the front straight, and uh, I, I didn't make it anywhere near winning that race. But, you know, the execution of being there, final stop, in position, let's go, that was all, that was all there. And so I, I, I think we have the capability to, to go there and, and perform like we need to. We just need to put all the pieces together. So we tried to strengthen where we could, and, and I really feel positive that we're going we're gonna to have what we need to challenge this year. The other thing that maybe not everybody understands, you can have an off year as a team at Indianapolis by getting the proverbial tiniest one millionth of a difference type item wrong. It's not a case of, oh my goodness. I mean, we were just completely out to lunch. Cars are undrivable, super slow. It's like we're dragging around parachutes. It's not that. <laughs> it's something tiny, 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 tiny that can make a team like yours be highly competitive but not really in for a shot with the win. So, yeah, uh, if you knew what it was beforehand, you would have fixed it then. So all it's, a, it's something that happens every year with at least one team, and I guess we should never be surprised that it can also be one of the biggest teams as well. Why don't we move, Joseph, to a topic that folks are really loving, and that is Nashville music city race <laughs> uh justin holmes rob ball jerry Sudeth, tim peters mark fleetwood and Mer lewis uh all have questions um i'm maybe gonna skip uh merle's 
asking whether you're going to go nude at your hometown race. Uh, but Justin opens things asking just simply how excited are you to have a home race and curious about coverage going over that bridge, safety, multiple cars. What are you thinking there? Have, have you had any thoughts about the bridge and whether that might be crazy and turn into a scene from the movie driven? <laughs> <laughs> that is the image, 100%. Driven is the image. Um, that is the number one question I've gotten about this race is, can you drive over this bridge safely? Is that like, what happens if a car, you know, crashes into the river? And, I, you know, it's not that, it's, it's not like, it's not like we're not doing anything to the bridge and we're all just going to fly on top of each other. Well, there's still going to be traffic there, right? They're not shutting down the streets. That's the cool thing about this race, right? It's full normal city traffic with an IndyCar race taking place. Yeah, new elements, you know, new elements. We're trying to spice it up. Um, Yeah, no, it's going to be fine. Look, I'm I'm excited. I think uh, it it has the potential to become a marquee event. Uh, The city is perfect. You know, if you're going to pick a destination in North America right now, Nashville is the perfect city to host a street course IndyCar event. I think it will be very well attended. I think there will be great local coverage, and I think there will be great regional coverage, people that will just come into Nashville because – it's it's the spot to be and you get to see a race uh the bridge section is the most interesting part about it we i think it's the longest bridge we've ever driven across with indy cars it's not the first time indy cars have gone over a bridge from what i understand but it is by far the longest and biggest bridge um they're they're going to build it like a street course you know we're going to have barriers we're going to have fencing put up there's divers in the water in the event that a driven scene breaks out um, but no, our, my head is not in that, you know, that space. I, I don't think, um, those type of events are, are the norm by any means. There's always uh, crazy circumstances that can take place. And, and I think we need to be prepared for that, but you know, we're, we're going to build the, the street course to the highest standards possible that we know up to this date. And I think it's going to be a really fascinating venue for, for people to, to come see. So I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to look, I think it's going to look beautiful. On the helicopter shot, that bridge, I mean, it's going to look really pretty. Probably one of the prettiest shots we're going to have for the year. When I played Little League Baseball, there was a standing uh, practice where if anyone either hit a home run or hit a foul ball that went out of the field of play and somebody returned the ball, basically you'd bring it to whatever the little concession stand was to give bring it back. And they'd give you, I think, a soda or something like that. What should IndyCar give to whomever returns an IndyCar, an IndyCar driver from the water if they were to happen to go off the bridge? Just trying to think of similar things like, hey, bring Joseph back. And if you do, we'll give you something. What should they get? (laughs) I, yeah, if you bring, well, let's take me out of the equation. If you, if you recover the car, it should just be like, you get to keep the car. It's it's yours, you know, it's a little token for you. (laughs) I don't know. That would be amazing. If you present the car, you get a free entry to next year. Look at that. You can come back and catch another. It's better than fishing. That should be the tagline. Better than fishing. Catch an Indy car. Um, let's see. Our pal, uh, Jerry said an interesting question. He asks, what do you think the Nashville race will do to advance the cultural and sporting profile of your home city? 
That's a good one, right? We already, most folks know what Nashville's, uh, I guess, reputation is as a music and food city, but curious how you think IndyCar might be infused and what it might do there to uh, shift the culture in whatever direction. Well, I think it's just bolstering the fact that it's an event city. You know, that's really what Nashville is becoming known for now is that it, it hosts events and it's a great destination for that. Um, obviously, you know, recently we've had the Stanley Cup there. They've had the NFL draft, which was very successful. Um, a lot of people know it for the you know country music awards, but Nashville is a lot bigger for, than just country. It's a very eclectic town, you know, depending on what genre you like of music. Um, but sports in general is growing in in the city. You know, they, there's I think there's a desire for more sports in Nashville. I mean, I think there's talk of, you know, how do we get a soccer team there? How do we get a baseball team? Um, so I think it's just adding to that conversation. It's certainly happening at the right time. Um, you know, it's a perfect storm. There's a lot of desire for these type of events. And IndyCar is going to be something that these people in Nashville have never seen before. You know, if you're really looking for a unique event that's, got a little something for everybody even if you're not a racing fan i think i think indycar's got got what you need so it's going to work both ways it's going to benefit nashville and i think nashville will certainly play perfectly to indycar as as being a good host hey i'm seeing a press release here that says expel is going to be uh part of your number two chevy experience this year three race primary deal there so that's good that's better than bad for sure excellent expel's been great um excellent he says about expel look at that you word smith (laughs) it's expellent it's expellent expellent (laughs) (laughs) you you, use the word bolster twice as well you you've been reading the dictionary a lot i that's one of the many things i love about you yeah that's what one thing you need to know about me, okay? Every day I get on a word. I think bolster is my word today. I'll just end up using it way too much, and I just have a habit of doing that. Well, we haven't mentioned the the word Brian Simpson. We're just going to make that a word that means something other than uh, your dream digital man's uh, name. All right, let's see. One or two more about Nash to the Ville. Uh, Tim Peters wants to know any recommendations on the best hole-in-the-wall barbecue place to visit when he's in town for the race, he says it's going to be six of them um, and two will not want to be at the track on Saturday. Any ideas on what they should do? Uh, Mark Fleet would ask similar things about, hey, any places to go for music, culture, fun, whatnot. So could you be a tour guide a little bit and throw out any recommendations? Um, Great question. So, Or give out your address yeah. and we'll all just come over <laughs> to your house. Yeah, just come to my house. We'll have a party. Um, don't do that, please. I'm, I'm, I would freak out. I'm such a he would. Uh, con- I'm a control freak. Um, no, I'm not a control freak. I'm just OCD. I I would recommend for. I'm still trying to learn the best barbecue in town myself. So take it easy on me. I I think you know Edley's is very popular in Nashville. There's a couple locations. Um, you know, there's there's probably other extremely good places um martin's barbecue is really good i've uh, been there loveless cafe it's a little off the beaten path but people love going there it's off highway 100 so it's kind of a fun destination place to go for people that that visit nashville i think you should 100 percent visit barista parlor if you're you know a coffee enthusiast there's multiple locations a couple locations close to the track so definitely check that out 
And like, I guess, I don't know. I would say like Hattie B's is really popular. A lot of people like going to there for some hot chicken. Um, so yeah, there's plenty to check out. Those are, those are some of the few hot chicken. I like that much, much more popular than the cold chicken places. Joseph Newgarden. Um, all right. We're going to what's become my favorite question so far of the year. You will be the fourth IndyCar driver it's been posed to. We have Daly, Rossi, and Hunter Ray that have given me their answers. Lance Snyder says, yeah, and now he phrases it in, in a ride term. He says, if you could ride any animal into the Indy 500 driver intros, which animal would it be and why? And he says, bison has already taken. That was Daly's choice. Ride, you know, that would be a great thing, but you could also walk you know, with an animal, I guess, too, uh, possibly fly in, but uh, give us your answer and, and why. That's very important stuff. Well, I don't know. I mean, for me, like, I would want, you know, something with high performance, um, you know, something like that's going to lead the pack. So I'd, I'd choose, like, a saber-toothed tiger or something like that. Wow. That, you know, that's what I would That's what I would do. Yeah. That's my choice. So you would go full Jurassic Park bring a, a an extinct animal to life and that would be your choice yeah i mean i've not been presented with any rules so okay. you know if, okay. if it's open-ended then i'm that's my pick that's uh that's pretty awesome now would you ride the saber-toothed tiger and would there be any concerns you might actually be eaten before the race well you gotta befriend the saber-tooth you know um you know, I think they're very conscious about their teeth. I don't know why, you know, they're super cool. So just trying to reinforce that friendship. So would you become friends good. by like brushing its teeth? Would that be the bonding thing? Yeah. You know, just getting them over that, that nervousness that they're awkward with their super awesome lethal teeth. And you're like, no, you're really like awesome. And people fear you. And like, I want to be friends. And so then you become friends and he lets you ride him into or her or whatever you know i don't know maybe it's a female saber tooth tiger see and yeah you get to go into the race and basically scare everybody how do you think your teammates would react and you know while we're here we always wander off the beaten path when you visit us joseph what animals do you think your teammates would choose because i oh i can't wait to ask them directly but you and i know uh, between Power and Pagano specifically, oh, we're going to have some serious, serious concerns. I, I don't know what they would choose. I think Power would probably choose something better. But I feel like I feel like Will needs to like be brought into the track in like a kangaroo pouch, you know? <laughs> like that's that's what he needs. Yes. And then I just envision Simon on something. Just, I don't know. I need, I, I want to come up with just an absurd animal for Simon. Like he comes in like on something that doesn't even make sense. Like it's a walrus or something. I don't know. That, 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 I, like logistically that doesn't make any sense. So I, I need to come up with something like he needs something dainty. I find, I don't know why I just dainty comes to mind when I think of an animal and Simon Pagano entering the Indy 500. And does he have his dog Norman in like a little baby Bjorn pouch, you know, like he's bringing a baby in, but he's with this obviously bigger and more uh, impressive and a walrus. I mean, that's, that's a good one. Oh my God. I don't, 
I don't know what we're talking. I mean, I don't even know what Scott would be. Scott would be something cool. He would, he would be, I don't know. He would be like on a horse, just something that makes sense. You know, I don't know. I have no idea. I need to put some thought into that. I'm definitely confident on Will's answer though. I think he needs to be brought in in a nice little, yeah, kangaroo pouch. I think you've nailed that one. Let's move to and probably my favorite question of the episode. That you even responded to it with a fine little gif. Uh, Ryan Terpstra, what's the status of the Chalice of Excellence? Great question. Um, you know, hard hard to answer. Easier, um, you know, easier to ask the question than to answer the question. Put up on eBay no one, during the off season. Definitely, I don't believe it. I don't think it's legal to put it on eBay. Okay, I think it's. I think there's like international laws that restrict that. Um. I, I like, I'm pretty sure, I don't know. I don't know what the status is, to be honest with you. You know, it, it it's a very mythical device. Forgotten so in a much... bathroom somewhere, maybe? I mean, I, I don't recall seeing much about it recently. I think there's, there's worry and so concern. Much, there's so much that's not known about the chalice that it's very hard to pin down what is happening with it at all times. I think I, my suspicion is that it has somehow gone back to its roots in the off season to re like bestow its power. I don't know. I think that's not even the right usage of bestow, but it, it bolster it its bestow. power. It needs to bolster its power. That's what really needs to happen. You know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's recharging. I think it's recharging in its place of origin and then it will present itself at the correct time. It has a it's USB like port for charging. Port. That's amazing. You know, in Harry Potter, where the Gryffindor sword just presents itself at the right time, I think the chalice is a little like that. I think that's what's happening right now. Like lap 199 of the Indy 500, it could just appear like on top of your dash in the cockpit kind of thing and and be the thing that allows you to win. Maybe you it lets you throw it at whomever you're racing and it kind of, you know, knocks them out of the way kind of thing. A hundred percent. You know, and maybe it's not me. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the fueler. It shows up in his hands on like lap 167 and he's just got to like, you know, nail a short fill. I, I don't know. That don't, that wouldn't make sense. 167, we're going to need a full fill for sure. So. <laughs> but maybe, maybe it could allow you to do a short fill. I mean, get that far on, on yeah. so lo- such a little fuel. We don't know. We don't know what powers it has. It's it's infinite. Jeez. This thing. I mean, it, it just continues to uh, to run our lives. Uh, all right. We're, we're going to go to a place we've been before. And uh, might have been the most fun place we've ever wandered when you visit the show. <sighs> We're talking about milk, Joseph Newgarden. Uh, we'll go with Austin Kaysen first. It says, what in the world was going through your mind when you saw the completed 2014 Indy 500 milk promo in all its glory for the first time? And do you want to set the stage a little bit for those who have no idea what we're venturing into here. Sure. Well, you know, first off, this is the gift that keeps on giving. Okay. That's, I think we've established that anyone that doesn't know about it, you're going to learn about this gift. Um, yeah. In 2014, I was approached by a very prominent, um, network 
uh, provider that said they were going to turn me into a gladiator and make me a warrior and do this incredible intro for the Indy 500. Easy as ABC, they say. It's so easy. Naturally, very excited. I love Gladiator, the movie itself. I thought it was really cool. You know, Russell Crowe looks good in that. And I I thought they could do that to me. (laughs) Little did I know that the shots that I shot were not the only things that were being put in this piece. And there was a whole other side of the story. You know, a, a whole nother piece. And when it was cut together, it's a majestic little little tidbit that was put in the intro of the 500. And there's a lot of milk. There's just a lot of fascination with the milk. The milk does things to people, including myself. And um, I don't know. That's really all I can say. You'd have to look it up to, to, to think of it for yourself on what and how you feel about it. Gets into your veins might be a little bit of a bondage scene somehow we've managed to sexualize milk at the indy 500 with you being a very young man still at the time um it was a little bit off-putting might have felt like this should have been about a midnight on uh cinemax uh skinemax or something type airing <laughs> not in the uh the the run-in package to uh, open the indy 500 so yes mildly extremely disturbing and we've gotten to a point to where you can win the indy 500 you can win 15 indycar championships you're always going to be asked about the veins of milk uh, shoot and, and output. So to Austin's point here, what was your immediate reaction seeing it for the first? Did you see it before the race it finished or did you catch it afterwards? So here's the problem. It was I didn't see it before the race. I don't think <laughs> anyone saw it before the race, which is not normal protocol. I've since learned that um, in my time as a professional driver that, you know, you, you, you generally approve things now before they get sent out on the biggest race of the year, um, as an intro piece. So no, I never saw it, had no idea. Don't think I had a great 500 that, that year. And I just remember getting home at night and being like, Hey, um, you know, someone with, I, I think it was my family. They were like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you've seen, I think, she, I think it was my, my wife, Ashley. She was, like, I don't know if you've seen the intro, for the 500, but you need, you need to watch it. You need to just understand what's out there. And being told that is a little scary. You know, I don't know what I'm stepping into. I have no idea what's out there and why you're sounding like it's very bad. <laughs> and I remember seeing it for the first time and being extremely confused at how that was put together from what I was being told it was put together. It was just so opposite of what I was told it was going to be. That it was, it was head scratching. So, you know, it happened. It's there. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Wow. Going to rattle through a couple of final quick questions for you, knowing you need to get out the door and start getting down to business, getting ready for the Indy Open test at IMS. Pal Grant Stouter says, what is more satisfying, destroying the field on race day and running away from them or a last lap big super duel? deciding the win uh i mean i think they're both incredibly satisfying i don't know how i mean i don't even know how i could choose because they're satisfying in different ways but oh so satisfying i mean when you destroy a field like just crush everybody 
you know, like lap everyone, that's, that's super satisfying. But equally, when you, you know, are in some intense battle throughout the entire race and you pull off like a last lap, last corner pass and win the event, that's, that's pretty good too. I think I'm going to go with like the intense battle victory. Mm. There's something sweet about that. You know, when, when it, when it really comes down to like a make or break moment and like you either succeed or don't succeed at that make or break moment, that's harder to do than I, I think in a lot of ways that is much tougher than just destroying the field. If you're just inherently better than everybody and you're like managing the process, incredibly satisfying, but not as hard to, to mess up. I think if, if, when it comes down to one moment to get it right or wrong, that's harder to mess up. So that, I think that's more satisfying. Let's see, where else should we go here quickly? Simon Rafi says, Joseph, what was your favorite track when you raced in the UK? And he inserts the letter U in the word favorite. So I think we can assume Simon's from the UK, which he is. I know this to be fact. <laughs> uh, Brands Hatch GP. That was by far my favorite track. I really, I loved it. I've driven the indie circuit um, in the form of Ford Festival. That was fun, but I, I think like, it should be mandatory if you go to Brands Hatch that you run the GP circuit. So cool. Okay, going to take two more. Uh, one's a little bit of a homer, and uh, the last one is perfect, I think. Uh, let's see. Mitsuki Matsura. Joseph says, I assume your series of posts, including your Admit One series on YouTube. And he says, look, I think it's incredible. Believe it's uh, definitely attractive to the people who aren't familiar with motorsport, um, as well as those who are familiar with it. But I strongly feel that the total number of views of your Admit One videos not enough. There should be more to meet its quality. Curious, any ways you might make these cool Admit One videos that uh, Super Producer Brian um, takes part in? Any idea on how we might get that to a bigger, wider audience? Is this something you might offer to IndyCar, NBC, Peacock, whomever? Tell folks a little bit about this because it's become a thing, right? If you do something, there's going to be an Admit One video afterwards bringing you inside your world. Any thoughts on how to maybe get that to a wider audience and whether IndyCar might realize that, you know, a lot of teams and drivers are doing things like this uh, and maybe we should embrace the everyone's output of original content uh, from inside the paddock yeah i love that you know thank you so much for the positive feedback we've, we've worked really hard in that you know like you said brian simpson and myself we we put a lot of effort into making these videos one for me because i'm a total introvert so it's hard for me to have a, it, it believe it or not it's hard to have a camera around and then when you think about Brian cutting this all together, it's, it's just a lot of work that goes into trying giving, you know, to give people access, which is, I think, what everyone wants, right? You know, when you're interested in something, you just want to feel a part of the moments that you can't normally be a part of. Um, and, that, you know, if I'm a fan of something, that's what I want to see is all the all those moments in between. I want to watch the race. I want to see the main event, but I also want to see the moments in between. So we tried to do that. And I think you're right. There's a lot of other people that are doing great stuff, too. It's not just us. Um, but we have a lot of people in the paddock, whether it's teams or journalists or drivers that that have great content that, you know, we're all we all need to do, do a better job of amplifying. Right. To just spread the message. So that's what we're working on. 
Um, with admit one specifically, yes, we're going to keep bolstering it. Hey, hey. Um, um, just trying to, you know, we're going to try and improve that as much as possible. I think we're always trying to get better. We've only had a year of it now and hopefully 20, uh, 20, 2021 will be even better for it. That's, that's our goal. And we're going to try and, you know, amplify how we, how we push that message. Cause I do think they're pretty good. I've, I've been very happy to provide that access and I, I'm super happy with what Brian's been doing with it. So yeah, we're going to try and keep pushing it. I keep pitching, complaining about things with Sebastian Bourdais. But then he tells me it's a horrible idea. So it's a little bit on brand with his response, but I don't think we're going to go anywhere there. Um, all right. We are going to close the show with our pal, Krishi Deshpond, who says, Joseph, how long would it take you to grow out a Connor Daly-esque mullet? And how long before the captain or Tim Sindrick makes you cut it off? Isn't that like the biggest thing of the preseason so far? Not who signed for who or a livery or a whatever. Connor frickin' Daly and that hair mop uh, on his head. That's the big topic. So, how long, I mean, have you had one before? Uh, how long would it take? And could you sneak it and maybe, you know, keep it under a ball cap so uh, TC and, and the captain don't see it immediately? Yeah, what a what a majestic creature that Connor Daly, right? You know, someone may ride him into the eighty five hundred. You know, if we're talking animals. Um, I, I, I would not take me long. My hair grows really fast. If we're talking like the head, the hair on my head. Yeah, we're definitely there. I don't know why you'd bring up other parts of your <laughs> well, body where hair grows new. Guy, all right, sure, let's go there. Obviously, there's other parts, but like a beard, I can't grow. I just. I struggle to grow a beard. It's very patchy and not good, so I couldn't match him there. But I could grow a mullet pretty fast. Um, certainly would not be allowed. You know, would be chopped off immediately. Also, this thing, it's not me. You know, that's a Connor. That's Connor Daly. That's all him. I don't need to do that. You know, I love it for him because it makes sense. Uh, but it's not me. So I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it high and tight. You know, and try try and keep the speed up. That's that's my thing. High and tight. The Joseph Newgarden story coming to lifetime. I like that. Uh, we're not going to talk about body hair anywhere else. So I think, as usual, we've crashed and burned to close the show. I would expect nothing less. We've discussed uh, veins of milk. We've gotten into what animal you would ride. You're, you're doing a Jurassic Park on us, which is pretty amazing. We even spoke about motor racing a little bit. Uh, worked in a sponsor mention. Um you know, let me ask, while we're on the topic of going away, you revealed a livery, new livery for your car, for the 500. What do you think about that? It's not as big and bright and as shiny as some other ones that we've seen, but uh, I saw that and I said, I think that might fit New Garden's personality. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. You know, I, I'm happy to be back with Shell, as always. I love it. You know, we've had a really fun partnership the last couple of years. Um I want to win the race more than anything, especially for them. And I do think it's a, it's a really – it's a cool car. Any car is going to look cool in victory lane. So if we put it in victory lane, I think I think it could become a really cool new paint scheme. Uh, it's got some throwbackness to it. You know, I, I thought of Brian Hurtis' car like immediately yeah. when I saw it. I was like, oh, that's a full-on throwback nearly. So it's got some cool kind of history to it in a way. And uh, obviously with Fuel Awards, we're trying to – kind of push their program and 
you know, get people to the pump and I use it actually, you know, but I mean, I'm not even trying to sell it right now, but fuel wars has been a pretty good thing for me. You can save a lot of money getting some gas. So check it out, check out the car, go get some gas at Shell. Joseph will be there pumping for you on race weekend at the Indy 500. So pretty amazing. Well, thanks my man for making some time based on frequency. I'm going to go ahead and try and coordinate your next appearance somewhere in 2023. And uh, other than that, I hope things go well for you here during the open test. And once the season gets rolling here at Barber. Cool. Thanks, Marshall. Well, guess what we're going to do here, dear listeners. We're going to try something new. Recorded with Joseph early this morning, feeling not great afterwards. Just took about a two-hour nap middle of the afternoon. Just recharged my battery a little bit. And I decided, you know, I wanted to get to all your questions in the last listener Q&A show, was unable to, said for some of y'all to resubmit them for next week, and I just decided, you know what, let me try and throw a few here in at the end of our guest show. Who knows, this might be a one-time affair, might be something that I do on a more regular basis, but either way, going to give this a little bit of a go. Starting with our pal, Caleb Bensey says, first of all, I'm only 19 and think it would be hard to find a more passionate, modern IndyCar fan. I'm incredibly proud to say that while it's normally just my dad and I going to the Honda Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio, this year it will be my little sister, New Garden fan, my girlfriend, Alex Pillow fan, my girlfriend's brother, Herda fan, my girlfriend's dad and mom, my best friend and his girlfriend, Will Power fan, and three more friends my age says nine people under the age of 20. Not a single one knew what IndyCar was before I got them into it. And some are genuine fans now. says, with introducing many new young people, I feel like I'm getting a good sense of what newbies like and don't like with IndyCar. I consider myself a racing purist, so I'm not talking about gimmicks or stuff like that. Caleb asks, has IndyCar ever considered using a fan council similar to what NASCAR uses? says, when they say they listen to the fans, is it just through social media posts and comments? says, would love to help grow the sport in a more direct way. Caleb, I don't know. It would strike me as odd if IndyCar were to have come up with serious thoughts about creating a fan council like this. Personality-wise... Not necessarily how things get down on the marketing and communication side. It's not trying to be negative or critical of them, but there are different cultures, obviously, found at every racing series. I just wouldn't put IndyCar in the, hey, we really want to hear what you have to say, and we truly have a plan of taking that feedback and input in using it to shape and improve what we do or innovate in some areas. In this case, as you've mentioned, uh, you might be one of the greatest promoters <laughs> IndyCar has, even though you don't work for them. Uh, you, wow. Nine people under the age of 20 you will have brought in. Truly, Caleb, that's amazing, man. Uh, you, If you aren't already, be proud of yourself. I'm proud of you, I'm sure. Everybody who's listening is proud of you, knowing that 
whenever I get the question, what does IndyCar need? What do they, what are they thinking? What are they doing? What, what's the thing to help make it more popular? What's the thing I always come back and say, and others come back and say, we need evangelists. We need Caleb's times a thousand or 10,000 spend all the money in the world on marketing plans and videos. I see there's a new defy whatever campaign that they've launched in a video. And again, cool, you know, need to do that stuff. I get it. But what's the thing that's going to get IndyCar back to a place of greater prominence? They've tried everything. None of it's worked in a really substantial way. So what's the thing? It's true evangelists like yourself, Caleb. So I'm actually going to forward your note here to a friend or two at IndyCar and see if and what they say. Because while it doesn't fit their cultural approach right now, maybe a success story like yours on a super local level would be something to change some opinions on how to approach the topic. Uh, let's go to a practiced observer from Reddit. going to take a little sip of coffee here. I apologize. I know I just slept for two hours, but I maybe slept two hours last night altogether. Uh says, hey, Marshall, here's a scenario. You're at home sipping a dark, foamy beer, and you get an email from Jay Fry with the requirements for a new chassis and the request that you design it. Oh, Lord. With it being the first open-wheel car to have the aero screen from the get-go, is there anything that you would do to the design uh, that maybe you wouldn't expect in an open wheel car that would be impossible to do without the aero screen. Impossible. Hmm. Taking a page from questions like this that I've gotten before. And the number one item I come back to is, boy, really want to spend some time working on the tub, the chassis itself, the carbon fiber safety cell, whatever you want to, whatever you know it as the tub is just something that with the arrow screen in place right now, it just looks exactly like what it is, meaning a bolt on that was never intended to be there from the beginning. So having a clean sheet to come up with a design where it is truly integrated, the lines of the tub are chosen intentionally to have it look like a smooth and integrated portion of the tub, just from a looks and an aesthetics standpoint, I think would be uh, nothing but a help. So from a competition standpoint, overstating the obvious, it's all the same car. So whether it's ugly or pretty, doesn't really matter. Everyone has to work with the same thing. But if we think about NASCAR, for example, when they went to their car of tomorrow or whatever it was called in the mid-2000s, there are a lot of reasons why NASCAR took a bit of a popularity nosedive. But I can just tell you, that car certainly didn't help. So ugly. So not friendly on the eyes that it only made retaining fans or adding new fans a little bit harder than it needed to be not saying the current car with the aero screen is that ugly but oh it, it certainly isn't beautiful the way it was prior to the aero screen so this is just an area where higher nose uh flatter line leading into the aero screen 
I think we just create something where the average person looking at it, along with the hardcore racing fan, would say, okay, that's a bit prettier. Um, Curious as to materials and weights. The big thing I can't get an answer out of IndyCar on right now is, hey, you're bolting in a significant kinetic energy recovery system, and a lot of that weight's going to be at the back of the car, and the balance of the vehicle is going to be a question mark in terms of it being a happy chassis balance for the drivers to use. What can we do with a new design? I know this is maybe just a little general. Uh, I don't frankly know how to answer your question uh, with specifics. Um, What do we do in terms of designing the next chassis, in terms of material development so that we can take a lot of weight out of it so we don't all of a sudden have a IndyCar that weighs about as much as, say, a LMP1 or uh, IMSA DPI prototype and... Uh, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it wouldn't be that far away uh, for what we're going to be at when we get to adding the curve system. So I just would like something that is a little bit prettier to look at since we can choose, right? If it's going to be brand new, why make it ugly? Um, Secondarily, just repeating another theme, I'm still not sure which direction to go. Is it tapping into something that looked beautiful in the past and that just being the thing that we do and it appeasing old fans and potentially new fans as well? Because something that looks pretty like the Panos DPO one from 2007, it's always going to look pretty. Uh, it doesn't look that old in my opinion by any means, but do we do that as the quote new look or do you truly just say, let's go nuts. Let's see if we can get Gordon Murray involved to come up with some sort of future looking craziness i don't know i'm not sure if we go outer space sci-fi or if we go purest open wheel direction but something in the middle kind of donkey doesn't quite fit it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and eh, which it feels like we have now i'd just say that not so much Beyond the rest of that, again, we I know that I've discussed this topic ad nauseum of things that I'd like to see on the next car from an electronic standpoint, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, boy, I, I can't wait till we get to a point where we do actually have a new car. And then, uh, in theory, we'll have answers and we won't have so many topics of what the heck should it be or what will they do or why will they do it that way. At least we'll get to that point where we'll have something. Uh, what next year, by the way, you know, if we're talking about anniversaries, well, I shouldn't even say next year, the, this August will be 10 years since, uh, testing of the DW 12 started with our boy, Danny and the herd of team at mid Ohio. I mean, and then next year, again, we will have been using this DW 12 for a fricking decade. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to move on before I get depressed. Zach Eckler, MP, worked in vintage racing for 14 years. Been trying extremely hard to get on a road to Indy, Indy Lights, or Indy Pro 2000 team. Uh, Is there a cutoff date on age and mechanics? 
and whatnot, because there's nothing I want more than to have a career in this. He says, I've worked very hard physically, losing about 120 pounds in the last two years. Good man, Zach. Says you're 37 now. Is there anything else I can do? Uh, and when is a good time to start turning in my resume uh, for next season? Uh, I'm going to just throw out a couple of quick things for you, Zach. You may have already done these things, so I apologize if they're meaningless, but uh, not knowing uh, what comes to mind. So age, meh, not so much. Uh, I don't, there's not a real concern that I know of anywhere of age and then being hired, whether it's Road to Indy, IndyCar, IMSA, you name it. I mean, if you're 90, maybe, maybe not. But again, if you're 37, and you have 14 years of experience in vintage racing, provided it's something that isn't like a 1911 such and such that has no relevance to today's cars. If you can demonstrate that you've done something for a long time, it's something that has some precision aspect to it that you have to maintain and meet high levels of preparation and has some systems on the car that you would find uh, in some way, shape, or form with a modern junior open wheel car, I can't foresee any real roadblocks there. What I would suggest you do if you have not done is being the person who doesn't know the other person receiving that resume. That's not a great thing. If you can, and I realize that we're talking about events where Zero fans, limited fans, who knows what it's going to be like uh, access-wise. But wherever you happen to live, uh, take a look at the Road to Indy schedule, bearing in mind that, again, you might not be able to get into all the places you want to get, uh, depending on which event we're talking about. But being the guy to go throughout the entire paddock, speak to all the team managers slash team owners uh, that you can, and get business cards, although that's not so much of a thing these days, but get business cards, email addresses, talk to them. Obviously not, as you, you would know this, working in vintage racing, but not 30 minutes before the start of a session, not on pit lane when they're just about to start or just coming off a session, but you know, be a smart person, as I'm sure you are, with the schedule. Say, aha, for the USF 2000 series, they've got this session and that session. And here's four hours, five hours in between. Let me try and find a spot in there that might be best to go walk the paddock and meet people and do the same. Looking at the schedule for Indy pro Indy lights, we're talking USF 2000 and Indy pro. When I say team manager, team owner, more often than not, it's going to be the same person. Get to Indy Lights. You tend to have two distinct differences there, team owner, team manager. Uh, the first two steps, it's the same person usually. So you're talking to the right person if their name is on the uh, transporter or the cars. Indy Lights, you're definitely going to want to speak with the team managers there. They're the ones who will... Uh, demonstrate an interest, lack of interest, encouragement to follow up or not, but be there, my friend. Be there in front of them. And I would say, 
last little bit of advice. I would not consider this your 30-second elevator pitch. You're not going to get hired right then and there. I would hope that would not be the approach taken, Zach. I would say go in with the approach of, I need to go meet people. Think of it like a seminar, a networking seminar. You're going to meet people and make introductions. 90% of the people you meet will not remember you. (laughs) They're going to be busy. They're going to be preoccupied with whatever. And there's going to be five or 10 other people speaking to them about the same thing during the weekend. But being the one to say, hey, it was great to catch up with you on Saturday in the paddock out in front of so-and-so. If there's some unique aspect of the conversations that you had, or if there's something unique you can bring to them in this case, hey, I'm the guy with 14 years of uh, vintage racing experience who's worked on this kind of car and that kind of car. Um, That little thing you can bring up when you send that email. Uh, or follow up with that phone call or text, whatever it is, uh, just treat this like an introduction. And all you're trying to do is develop a relationship that may or may not pan out, but don't expect anything other than you're going to have to work for it. And you're probably going to have to follow up with multiple emails or whatever it is. Some people aren't going to get back to you. It's going to be frustrating. It just Juan Montoya slash uh hashtag it is what it is follow that route you should based on the sheer numbers get a couple of people that are interested some will probably ask if you'll volunteer do it for free do it for whatever uh you know there's nothing wrong with saying hey if you can cover my travel i'll happily come out for a weekend to see how things work see how things fit don't commit to anything more than that uh, in terms of free. Uh, that's a little bit of a tryout trial period. But just think of this, Zach, and for anyone else who's interested, if you have some skills to demonstrate, demonstrate them through multiple engagements. Don't treat this like, I got you in front of me. I'm going to make the sales pitch. And can I have a job? Uh, that's an unlikely thing that's going to develop. You also, frankly, the following up standpoint for the ones that you like, even if they say we don't have anything for you right now, most teams are going to, if not lose one person throughout the season, have an eye on someone they want to lose at the end of the season. So don't be afraid to drop that email every two months. Uh, say just checking in you know hey congratulations on your win here your podium there whatever young driver so-and-so sure is looking good and this that and the other it's relationship sack it's trust it's the thing where they go okay uh, i have an interest in wanting to trust you let's see if we can find an opportunity for that to happen uh let's see where we're going to go here we're going to go to kmiltz seven or kmiltz seven but it's all pressed together in one screen name on Reddit. So it's Marshall, a couple of Aaron McLaren SP questions. We all know testing is just testing, but Pato Award seems to be topping nearly every session he's taking part of. What are the realistic possibilities of a championship push from him? Uh, I mean, the kid finished fourth in his first full season of IndyCar with a team that we didn't really know what to expect from sorry word phrase 
mouth not good right now. We didn't know what Aaron McLaren SP was going to be last year. Uh, we saw that there was tons of potential, more coming out of Pato's side of the team than anything in terms of delivery on that potential. If he's finishing fourth and we did not have the full Craig Hampson technical director effect and the full influence of the McLaren F1 technical insight and support that they were hoping to have, if we didn't have that from start to finish last year and they've placed fourth, uh, boy, yes, this is the team that I think everyone is looking towards this year, Pato specifically, as the one who should not only get into victory lane, but get there multiple times and potentially make life incredibly hard on some of the established big three champion calib- championship caliber teams. Just wind the clock back a tiny amount and say, hey, remember when Zach Brown became the CEO of McLaren Racing in Formula One and how it was a total poop show for the first year or two, having to clean up a lot of mess there, and how, boy, they sure have come a very long way in a short amount of time with people placed, new people in some positions, shuffling in other areas, but not saying Zach was the total architect for it all, but we've seen that the approach that has been applied there has turned that F1 team around. Not surprised to see that similar things going on at Air McLaren SP in a short amount of time. Uh, some additions, but would say more just tweaking and changing uh, some of what they have. Taylor Kyle, obviously, his promotion to Prez O'Dent, yet another great call uh, within the program. We just say that I'm seeing similarities here and the potential here for, wow, um, you guys had a long ways to go to even be mentioned among the Andretti's, Ganassi's, and Penske's. Last year, oh, with Pato and Pato alone, they were absolutely given them the business. So if we see a step up here, as I think would be a rational expectation, Craig Hampson, one of the greatest race engineers to ever race engineer, having full off season, a full year behind him, but now a full off season to apply his skills, that integration of the McLaren uh, engineering group greater from the UK into jumping into what we do here in IndyCar to find improvements and whatnot. And Pato now with a full year behind him uh, with this group and just balls of steel. I don't know if I would say he is ready to knock off a Dixon or a new garden or a Herta or a Rossi. And again, we can throw in a couple others as well, but really over the last handful of years, it's been Dixon, it's been Newgarden, it's been Rossi by and large flirting in and around the top three. That's going to be hard, right? He Pato finished fourth last year. Still a little bit of a gap to that top three. I think they're going to be serious contenders, but do I think 
we're going to displace Dixie, New Garden, and Herta slash Rossi, that's going to be the big question, right? <laughs> it's not like those teams sat around and said, well, we're not going to do anything. We just want to see if Aaron McLaren SP can catch us. They've all worked insanely to make sure that not only do they improve upon what they did last year, but they've found advantages to uh, create a gap. So on pure potential alone, I don't know if 2021 is the year where I say, yep, I think Pato is going to be in the mix for a championship, meaning he's going to get it done. Would I say next year? I would feel more confident in saying, yeah, I, I think that team now with two full seasons of Aero, McLaren, SP, everyone operating at their peak going into year three, that being 2022 of that relationship, do I think that might be a more realistic time to pin championship, realistic championship aspirations on Pato? I'd say so. If he comes away this year third in the standings, I know it's only an improvement of one spot, but boy, that's vicious territory to get into third place. I think that would be a pretty amazing thing. Uh, so anything beyond that, uh, boy, that would be truly incredible. Uh, you also ask about whether Juan Montoya might be doing more than the 500. I'd heard that there was a possibility of him doing the Indy Grand Prix the weekend before uh, practice and qualifying for the Indy 500. Haven't heard anything about that happening yet. So uh, who knows if that was just nothing. Uh, but yeah, the more JPM we have in IndyCar, the better off the world is. I love that guy. Uh, you said, thanks for your Q&A shows. Lots of people asking questions. I didn't know I had until you read them out loud. You and I are on the same page here. Uh I'm supposed to be a professional at doing this, the reporting side, the podcast, not so much, but, uh, the questions y'all send in are pretty darn awesome. And many of them, I'm like, I would never thought of it. Uh, our pal, Luis Felipe Rojas Calderon fires in something else is want to ask you about the new number 86 paint scheme, Aaron McLaren SP Juan Pablo Montoya honoring the 1971 Indy 500 pole winner, that being Peter Revson in a McLaren M16. What do you think about it? Uh, he says, I like it, by the way, if my opinion counts. I like it a lot. I just wish there was nothing about it honoring Peter Revson's 71 pulse sitter. Why is that? Well, I'm a little particular that way. When I saw the release come down and saw the car's livery, which has papaya orange on the nose, the engine cover, a little bit on the side pods, but it's primarily white. It's just basically a white car with some patches of strategically placed patches of the famous uh, McLaren papaya orange color. I said, ah, it's really nice. Saw the image first before I read the press release. Said, hey, I like that. That's clean. Then I read the tribute to Peter Revson's poll uh, in that McLaren M16, and I then thought, huh, um, I seem to recall what the car looks like, but let me go check. And then I went and looked in the entire car as papaya orange. So I know honor, tribute, 
boots, that kind of stuff, liveries. It doesn't mean you have to do it 100% identically to the thing you're paying tribute to. Totally get that. But uh, as a standalone thing that's not attached to anything else, I love it. If you're going to tell me it's a tribute to a car that is 100% papaya orange, and what you've come up with is, I don't know, 20% papaya orange, whatever the percentage is, I don't know if that flies in my head at least. So love the way it looks. Not totally sure. I buy the honoring the 71 pole winner. Uh, where do we go? Getting down to the end here, believe it or not. Uh, Matt Philpot. Hey, Matt, member of our Prue day listener, uh, work release program. A little secret here. I actually answered this in the primary Q and a show. But uh, I was wanting to get the show under uh, an hour and 50-ish, so I cut it. So, sorry, Matt. But we're answering it here. And by we, I mean me. And I don't know why I keep saying we, because that doesn't make any sense. Uh, Unless I have multiple personalities, which I've apparently just revealed. Let's see. Matt says, when a handful of teams are invited to do a private test for the series, or say one of their suppliers... Say it's a, an engine test day or a tire test day. Are the participating teams allowed to keep and use any of the data collected? Or is it embargoed from them so as to prevent them from having an unfair advantage over the teams and cars which didn't get to take part in the test? It's a really interesting one, Matt. And I don't know if there are any changes to this practice. There, keep in mind, there's no rule. Uh, but I don't know if there's been any change to this practice this year. When we get the series saying, hi, we want to effectively, air quote, hire you. We want you to come out and take part in a test for us. And you're there strictly for us. We're covering the tab. You're there for us. That data really and truly is meant for the series. I don't know the politics of we want you to delete any and everything you might have. Keep in mind that teams are watching real-time telemetry as it happens, right? So you have the two aspects of data. You have what is being captured and logged on a hard drive within the vehicle on that data system. When it comes to a stop, they will plug in and download that, uh, pull it off of the onboard computer and onto a hard drive of whatever is downloading it. And that then tends to hit the network for everyone to take a look at. So you have the call it hard data. If you want, then you also have the telemetry that is coming across that they are watching as it's happening real time. You could, well, I won't get into all the permutations here, but to my knowledge, Uh, It would be pretty darn hard to have the teams that are coming out to help the series be blind and ignorant in terms of the data coming back and coming across. So as I understand it, though, the way that this really is meant to happen, and this applies to whether it's the series, whether it's an engine manufacturer test uh, or tire test by Firestone, is if it's Firestone, they work directly with all teams. There's no real uh, filter that I can think of that would prevent them from saying, this is what we have learned uh, with this 
specific tire we've chosen that we're going, you know, you helped us test some different things. This is the one we've decided to go with. Here's the relevant information and suggestions that come with it. That would go out to all teams equally at the same time. Does it mean the teams that were there helping as part of that, giving feedback, which informed, you know, beyond the actual computer data, Matt, the driver feedback, uh, is also very important in the decision-making process uh, for a Firestone or a Chevy or a Honda. Um, they can't magically forget what they know and what they liked and what they didn't like. And so I guess what I'm getting at here is it is a little bit hard to think of this in a truly uh, scrubbed, you know, clean room laboratory type environment of pure empirical testing that is fair and has nothing that might advantage the teams that are taking part in it. There's going to be knowledge gained that even if the series or whomever says, oh, you don't own the data, you can't touch it, you can't anything, uh, we're going to own all of it, great. Still going to see things through telemetry while it's happening live, and drivers are certainly going to have uh, feelings and knowledge of what is taking place through their butt and their fingers and their hands and feet, and also uh, just on their dash, right? There's also some performance parameters that are available to look at there. So you're never going to have this true blind thing happen. But where the effort here to make this as fair as possible comes in is we're talking the arrow test that IndyCar did at the Speedway here week, week and a half ago. Well, they had two Chevy teams, two Honda teams. What they will do, the series, is work through the manufacturers because the auto, the engine suppliers do a lot of work themselves, whether it is aero testing, obviously engine development and such, shaker rigs, and you name it. The manufacturers are spending a ton themselves to make sure they keep up with and maybe find advantages they can pass on to their partner teams. IndyCar uses that supply route in this case. Hey, we did a test. These are the things we learned, good, bad, or otherwise. If we're just talking sharing information for the teams to use in an equal capacity so no one has a real advantage, there's an effort here, Matt, to make sure that this gets disseminated as quickly as possible using the engine manufacturers to then filter that down to the teams. Same thing happens if you have a manufacturer test and whatever number of teams are helping to support their brand, that brand will do the same thing in terms of performance information that may have been gained that's valuable and make sure that that gets to their people too. So that tends to be how it works, my man. Uh, where are we going here to a uh, couple to close your show quickly? Nathan. Says, why do race teams not use coded language when talking to drivers during a race like football players calling an audible? Uh, things like telling them to pit next time or stay out a few more laps. Sometimes they'll ask a driver to save a certain amount of fuel. Seems like any information could help other teams with their strategy. Anyone with a scanner can hear communications with the driver. Says, maybe there are ways uh, they do this, and I'm not aware, but it seems like they give away a lot. Uh, how is secret information passed to drivers? was an effort i believe it was penske was the one that really drew the ire 
of folks, I believe it was when they came over to the IRL in 2001, they had been using, you know, scramblers and such to make sure that uh, their practice was uh, to do exactly what you discuss. And it wasn't just coded language. It was, no, you can't listen to anything of ours. And that didn't really jive with the IRL slash Indy 500 um, approach. And so uh, I think it was just simple rules saying, hey, you can't do that anymore. And all for the reason you mentioned of folks with scanners wanting to listen in and take part. Um, I know it's unrelated, but it's also, you know, there are other ways that this mindset of inviting fans in to the greatest amount possible uh, was done. I know things have changed over the last 10 plus years, but I do remember what I think first year at the 500 for me with the uh, the TKM Genoa team with Greg Ray in 97. We had bought a timing stand. I mean, we had one that we used in Indy Lights, but it wasn't this it wasn't super uh, ornate, but we'd gotten a hold of, of whatever timing stand and it had a full awning uh, with, you know, everything that you could just erect fairly quickly. And it's a nice little sunshade and all kinds of stuff. And as one of the monkey engineers sitting up on it, it's kind of a nice thing, you know, you're uh, if whether it's windy or the sun beating down on you, Hey, all of a sudden you've got this, more comfortable environment to try and do your work and think. And I mean, I don't think that thing stayed up for more than about three seconds before one of the officials said, what the F are you doing? What do you mean? Uh, take that down now. Okay. Uh, what, what? Well, people look behind you. And it was actually a very demonstrative thing. Like, Hey, turn around and look behind you. And you kind of peek out and look around and you go, oh, yeah, uh, blocking the view of the car and pit lane and whatever uh, for those sitting in the grandstands behind us. I mean, I guess for those sitting all the way up at the top, maybe not as much, but the point being, hey, dummy, uh, this ain't about you. This is about the people behind you. And no, don't be the guy at the movie theater who's, you know, sitting up as tall as possible and stretched out with a big old jacket blocking the view of everybody behind you. Be the person who's kind and realizes that, you know, uh, bigger things at play here. So just remember that little note, and it really did set my mind in the right direction of like, oh, yes, fan experience. That is number one. So would say that this certainly applies here in terms of the no blocking, no scrambling. To your point of coded stuff, you absolutely will hear coded things. Absolutely. Uh, that's the part where it's not meant to sound massively odd. The uh, multi-21 call years ago with the Red Bull team in F1 and that whole schmozzle between uh, Vettel and Weber at Malaysia um, that stood out easily as a, oh, we don't know exactly what that means, but we see what happened on track, heard that call come, and okay, we're able to deduce, we're able to figure things out. Uh, in terms of calling an audible here, I can't think of a lot of things beyond 
settings on the steering wheel, which obviously, depending on which dial you're turning, what you're doing there, it affects certain things on the car. I'm mostly talking about the engine side, but other than that being a unique thing that teams, A, wouldn't really want to give away too much, meaning, hey, rotate such and such to slot four so we can make this thing different, you're going to get the go to slot four on whatever it might be, and that's it. No explanation as to what slot four is, uh, what they've done in slot four, and what it affects, but that's a bit of a general one where the driver will know. Uh, sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll just do as they're told and assume that it's a good thing, but... I don't know if there's a whole ton here, Nathan, that I think of where I'm like, oh, boy, you're giving away the playbook. Um, Unless people just decide to behave very strangely in terms of strategy, most drivers pit in or around the same time. We know the duration of a tank of fuel by and large within a lap or two one way or the other. Uh, there's a lot of things that just kind of happen normally. And so there's not a lot of trickery that I can think of that would be worthy of coming up with, all right, driver, we want you to do X, Y, 11, minus 2. And that leading to some grand thing they're going to do that's going to make them win the race. We assume most drivers are saving fuel whenever possible. So telling folks hey we need you to hit this number i can guarantee you (laughs) it's a lot of other people uh trying to hit similar numbers now if we're talking about someone who's in deep doo-doo maybe the team meant to do a fill a complete fuel fill not a short fill but fill up the whole entire thing and in theory based on when that pit stop took place say to the checkered flag They should be kind of sort of good to go. And you do hear someone say, hey, we need you to hit this number. And folks hear that and go, oh, that's an aggressive number. They must not have gotten all the fuel in or their driver has just been an absolute nut um, punching away on push to pass or just whatever else. There are a couple things that might indicate that you're in a little bit of crisis. Would say that that's a situation where of course you can add shades right if a fuel number of x is kind of sort of the norm that you're asking your driver to hit at this event you can say you can add a modifier to that we're looking to go plus point whatever on the fuel safe that's not going to give away the actual number you're trying to hit there's again There are some teams that love to get into this, Nathan. And if you listen to them, you will hear, aha, boy, they are asking their drivers to retain a lot of information in that pre-race meeting. And you got to know all the codes and thunder and flash and all the kinds of stuff uh, to achieve as asked. I think with some other teams... And I, I would say I've always fallen in this direction. Let's not overcomplicate things here. If we're going to have to ask you to do something drastic, it's because we messed up 
maybe you messed up, whatever it is, we're in a drastic situation already. If we're talking about we're leading and hiding that info could be the difference between winning and losing, we might come up with some creative conversations here. But beyond that, I can't think of many situations, Nathan, where you really need to apply a whole ton of cloak and dagger type stuff to protect something. The the trickery, you know, I don't know if there's a lot left for folks to really exploit. Uh, Kevin Frederico, MP, schedule lacking ovals, uh, which is starting to remind me of the waning years at Champ Car. How long do you predict before Indy will be the only oval on the schedule? Uh, I don't think that's a concern at any point in time. Um, I would expect the, what, three oval tracks we go to and four overall races we have. I would expect that to get up to four or five tracks next year. Um, yeah, uh, if we ever get to a place where Indy is the only oval, boy, I'll have to w- wonder what happened to IndyCar because uh, I just cannot foresee that day coming. Uh, let's see, where else do we go? Two to go. Our pal John Wojnar, one of the leaders of the Day listener group. Oh, boy, troubled, troubled youth, that Wojnar kid. Says, hey, MP, was James Davison's being left out at India a choice by him? just a product of circumstances i had a long call with our man mr davison i included some of this in the story that we wrote i mean i was as usual our pal davison talks a lot so uh i think it was about 15 or 20 minutes worth of conversation and i only used about 10 percent of it but as he presented it to me his sponsors uh who've been very supportive of him not only in IndyCar, but as we saw last year, playing back and forth between uh, stock car racing and open wheel at the 500. As he presented it to me, uh, sponsor said, we can do both. But if we do both, we do the 500. That is going to knock a significant number of races off of your NASCAR program. And I would say... At 33, 34 years old, James had a very mature realization. I think I put it in the story too, John, where he basically said, look, since whatever was 2013, I've done eight IndyCar races, and six of those have been at the Indy 500. Point being, since 2013, you know, the last, whatever it is, eight years or so, six of those basically... I've done one IndyCar race and I love the Indy 500, but clearly things are not trending in a bigger direction for me in IndyCar. He said when Bourdais got hurt and I was able to step in and that, okay, great. you know, there's a little bit back in the day, but I think it's a guy who realized I'm not getting the call from Roger. Chip is not ringing my phone at Indy. No disrespect to Dale. I've had some very good runs for him there, but it's not getting easier each year for the smaller teams to punch above their weight. So do I keep hanging on to this dream that probably is not going to come true of winning the Indy 500 at the expense of growing a new part of my career? Or do I just say, you know, 
I've done this race a lot. It's really cool. It's, I, I'm a fortunate cat. Let's go all in on this new stock car opportunity and see what we can make out of it. I would say that was really the the underpinnings of his decision, John. The last time I remember him having a full-time ride was in World Challenge GT, driving a Nissan GTR. And it was great. He's employed, had a full season of racing to do, a couple seasons. Again, I've known him fairly well, um, followed his career for a long time. It's been a little while since he's really had something serious to fall back on as a full-time race car driver. He's had glimpses of it, but not much. So I think it makes total sense for him to say, if I'm going to do this NASCAR thing, no guarantees, but if I'm going to do it, I better give it my all and not shortcut my, or take any shortcuts and take races away from myself. So granted, if the NASCAR thing flames out, do I think he will be doing his all to get back to the Indy 500? Of course. But if I were him, at his age, with his racing and life experiences, I'd probably make the same exact decision. Uh, we're closing here with more of a statement than a question, courtesy of our pal Jason Hatfield. This is in reaction to the Thursday, Friday, which might just be Friday, could be Friday, Saturday, depending on the rain, in the open test. He says, does anyone really give two you-know-whats about two test days? If it means we can attend the race in may take a chill pill folks says i know we're all starving to see IndyCars in person at the speedway but i can wait a few more weeks he says uh month of may is what matters uh he says not so much a question more of a lewis black rant yeah i you and i are in the same same uh spot here jason of i know some folks are mad that the thing they're accustomed to having which is the ability to go to tests is not being made possible here for the open test Totally get it and understand why folks who are used to having a thing are mad that they can't have a thing. Bigger picture, don't risk it. Totally get it. I'd like this James Davison question that John threw in, Jason, with yours, I'd make the same call as IMS and IndyCar in this situation if I was in charge. Love you, fans. We want you here. We don't want to risk anything. I know we're talking crazy, tiny percentage chance of it happening, but the last thing Roger Penske and company needs is 300 fans, 1,000 fans showed up for the Indy Open test, stood on such and such hills and mounds to watch. Three days later, (laughs) outbreak of COVID was traced back to a group standing on the last thing they can afford to have happen any risk of any outbreak of anything prior to the race within those beautiful, widely stretched four corners at IMS, any kind of outbreak like that, the, uh, I, I, it's not even worth contemplating. So I get it. Last year was a kick in the financial nuts. Mentioned this in the show multiple times before the number I've heard over and over again is, Lost eight zero eighty million dollars at the speedway last year due to the lack of ticket buying, crowd size, all the normal things. I know that there were plenty of tickets sold, but I'm just talking about the all the things they're used to having 
terms of normal size crowds, normal sales of food and beer, just all the things that generate money. Uh, the number we've heard is $80 million lost last year. Um, there's no way on earth you would say, ah, let me risk having zero fans again just because we want to have some folks be able to stand on mounds during the open test. You don't risk it. You don't take the chance. No, no, never, 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 never. So not going to make people happy, but to Jason's point, May is what matters. And if we've got to sacrifice two days, potentially rainy, cold days, who knows what amount of running we're going to get in at the Speedway. I, uh, I'm in full agreement with what they've done. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is our little Marshall Pruitt podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Thanks for uh, this little experiment of tacking on some leftover and late-arriving questions onto the end of our guest show. I'll speak to y'all next week.